It's Monday the 31st of May 2021. My name's Alex Elliott and you're listening to The Week in Iceland, the programme that asks what's been happening in Iceland this week, why it happened and why we should care. I'm joined this week by Thora Arnosdottir, the managing editor of the Kvekur Investigative Current Affairs programme. Welcome to you. Thank you. Um, after a week's gap due to the public holiday last Monday, there's plenty to talk about today. Uh, and we'll begin as ever on the COVID front. Um, Iceland has passed the 30 death milestone, unfortunately. Vaccinations are moving to a randomised age order. Bars and restaurants enjoyed a busy weekend during which Vida Reynason says the contact tracing app could prove its worth. The compulsory use of quarantine hotels for arrivals from high-risk countries expired at midnight and Keplavik Airport is at its busiest since before the pandemic began. On the employment front, conversation has arisen about how the tourism industry is apparently having a hard time re-employing people and that some people are apparently refusing positions offered to them. The Directorate of Labour, meanwhile, and the leader of the Union of University Educated People both downplay the size of the problem and point out that job seekers have very limited scope to turn down job offers without losing their benefits. The Samheri Fisheries Company has apologised for the manner in which it has defended itself against investigative journalists looking into allegations of corruption and other illegal activity in Iceland and overseas. The first earth barriers erected around the Fagradalsfjall volcano were topped by lava within just a few days, but the fact that they remained intact allowed for optimism for the next stage of earthworks. Lava is now flowing into Nautaye and could cover the nearby road with an fibre optic cable in a few weeks if not diverted successfully. A popular viewing area, meanwhile, for visitors to the volcano was closed off last night as it could soon be cut off by the encroaching lava. And in other news, Althingi passed its latest support bill for the private media companies in the country. Bandmates in Sigurros were acquitted of tax evasion charges. And a doctor has spoken out about a youth mental health crisis that he traces back to funding cuts in the banking crisis a decade ago. Where would you like to begin? Well, I think I'd like to begin with... uh maybe the, the piece of news that has most to do with me and my program, which is the the Samaria's uh, apology. Um, I was, you know, I saw that I had a mail in my inbox, a declaration from Samaria, and I just thought it would be one more of, you know, it was a stolen phone, all the journalists are, are just after us for some strange reason. Uh, Can I just and I ask was you just, to spool yeah. back just a second there? Yes. Um, so you you work with Quaker, which is the programme at Rove. I do, I'm the editor of Quaker, yes. the centre of, of the whole Samheri scandal at the beginning. The Fishrock Files. Which exactly. has been running for over a year now. Yes, um, the, the programme was uh, aired in November of 2019, so it's been more than a year and a half. And uh, with continuous harassment, uh, defamation videos, and now in the, in the last week or so, a couple of weeks, we have seen how the internal so-called militia parts of Samirie mm. was organising all this, uh, this whole campaign against journalists and actually whoever would dare to say anything about about the case and about the company, if it wasn't positive, and 
I was actually flabbergasted when I saw this, that they had decided to apologise. I mean, to say um, that the Samaritan management has also reacted harshly to the negative coverage of the company and it's clear that too much has been done in that response. That is what it said uh, in, in those words. For that reason, somebody would like to apologise for that conduct, it says in the declaration. So it's not clear exactly what they're apologising for or who is apologising, but I think it's a very important gesture. Mm. It doesn't mean that we can just say, oh, well, let's forget about everything that's been going on for the last year and a half. But hopefully, Ruf and the media in general and this big, important company in Iceland can start to have some kind of normal communication again. And, and you know, they can maybe just answer the questions that are still looming there a year and a half later. Um um hopefully they'll be open to discussing that honestly and and you know one can only hope mm. absolutely i think uh, i think we we should not devalue i mean of maybe they would not have done this if this piece of information about the uh, the leak about their internal organization uh had not leaked out but it doesn't matter it's important and we must take the high roads don't we? And what do you make of the the sort of the timeline of this so far? Because it, first of all, it was a, a boat out of the blue. This investigation hit, scandal, 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 and their response was to protest innocence. Since then, it seems to be more, you know, something wrong did happen, and then they were sort of protesting the people that were pointing that out. This apology seems to be the next, the sort of the third stage of that. So where do you see it going from here? That's a very good question. And I mean, we've discussed this with our Nordic colleagues, our Scandinavian um, sister programs, and they have actually never had similar experiences. They have never gone through anything like this. So, uh, and uh, some international journalists' uh, associations have been in contact with us, just uh, really surprised that something like this can happen in a Nordic paradise uh, like Iceland. They thought this would never happen here, but it has. And we have to face it. Uh, it's something that we have not experienced before, where you have, uh, you know, in the power of money, infinite power of money. I mean, my kids couldn't watch YouTube without seeing some summary videos. Um etc. Um, without ever responding to the requests of interviews. So it's not like Roof closed uh, the communication canals at all. A every single time Samaria has been mentioned in my program or in the news, uh, there is always an open door. Would you please come and respond and talk to us? Uh, which has been denied up till now. I'm just hoping maybe this will change now, that we can open up this this communication canal and continue uh, the news, the news story. Not about, uh, you know, they've tried to make the journalists that worked on the fish rot files uh, tried to say that they're dishonest, that they've, uh, you know... Um, made up documents or uh, or changed them in some ways that they're not fit to uh, 
do news on somebody. I mean, I think that was the scope to get them off the case mm. so they couldn't continue their work uh, given all their knowledge in, in the field. And that other journalists wouldn't dare to step in because they didn't want to get crushed by that machine. Um, where do I see it go from now? Uh, I can only say that I hope that this means this is the end of the campaign against the journalists and things can return to as normal as possible after such a year and a half. That's that's my hope, that we can just have the CEO sit down for an interview to go through all the questions that remain. Uh, and of course, the investigation is continuing and that's something that we can't have any control of. And there will be, I think this fall, um, the case will be heard, heard in, in Namibia and it will be interesting to see what happens there. But there are still so many questions that need to be answered, which they promised that they would answer mm. as time went by. They said, we'll answer it later. We'll answer it. Did you did you pay bribes? We, we, we'll go through this later. But we've never had the chance to really go through the case with them. And I hope that's how it will be. Mm. Every move that any individual or company, especially companies, it seems, make has got some motive behind it, obviously. Um, in this case, I, I, I wonder if it has something to do with getting the media back on side, because the investigation, the criminal investigation, is now out of the media's hands, out of the company's hands. And a more sympathetic media in the future might be a, a tool than a hurt and potentially hostile media when it comes to any trial of course. Um, but what's interesting is that when we got this this view into the communication, the internal communication about uh, the media and how this so-called internal militia of Samirie uh, talked about journalists, about people, it was like they were waging a war. Uh, and they had enemies, and but this is not how it works uh, w with the media. The media just it's writing news. Uh, it's not about liking or disliking either companies or people. Mm. Uh, and while they were raging a war, we were just you know going on about our business, writing other news stories, focusing on other things, and trying to get some information. On this case, like any other 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 news story, so uh, I. We probably wouldn't be here if it weren't for this peak that we got into, this revelation, this leakage uh, about the inner communication on, on how they have been handling things. Mm. And I think it was the right thing to do and maybe the only thing that they kind of, I don't want to say lost the war, but yes, they did. I don't think anyone is going to buy any more defamation videos on how horrible a journalist Helgi Selian is. No, -uh. no, not after we've seen how you've, you know, talked about uh, the harassment and how they're going to break him, etc. It was just, it was, you know, it, it, it was really, really, it was frightening to read how they, how they wrote about my dear friend and colleague, uh, Helgi Selian, which is a, a fantastic journalist, though I'd say the best investigative journalist that we have with tons of experience. Um, so you might say, yes, that's a plan. But then again, you might also say, what else was there to do? 
What mm. else could you do? Yes, there is a but, but, but try to repair what has been broken. We'll see. We'll see. Mm. And going through just going through Quaker's back catalogue of episodes, mm -hmm. you can see that yes, it's an investigative program that usually targets things under the surface that wouldn't come up otherwise, but there's no evidence that it is against Samheri or the fishing industry. No, not you at cover all. all. I mean, all sorts of different that's things. the thing. We've we've now gone through four seasons, and more than like 130, 40 items. Mm. So Samheri might make up five percent of what we've done. Mm. So we can't be defined by that. We have definitely been working on a lot of other things because it's just obvious when you have such a big, powerful company that it will be a, a part of the news. It's newsworthy, uh, especially when something goes wrong. I mean, we, we know that it's not news that somebody goes to work and does what he's supposed to do. It's, it's news when something goes wrong. Mm. And it's very, very, and, and that's what the media is supposed to do. Uh, both with with politics, with uh, companies, with what you know, the big players in society, we're supposed to scrutinize and and, and follow and and ask difficult questions. Um, so exactly, um, yeah, maybe five percent somebody. But so I also want to state that somebody the, the somebody case was really important, an important news story, but it can't define the program forever because we do so many other important things. Now you talk about covering other things, so let's move on. Right. Where would you like to go next? Well, um, I'd say some good news, right? Unemployment rates uh, going down, tourism, uh, tourists are starting to come back. I have a friend that lives downtown. And you know how, you know, in the years before COVID, they would say, oh, the tourists, you know, the, they're so loud with their, with their suitcases <laughs> on the sidewalks, you know, 24 hours a day, 24-7. It's a very and, distinctive sound as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now everyone's happy. You know what? And I could hear different languages and the bars were open and there was, you know, somebody was shouting until 2 a.m. It's fantastic. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they've actually missed it. Because, but the, the, the good thing is it, it's a sign of recovery. It's a sign of returning back to normal. And uh, I think we all have this feeling because vaccinations have been going well um the covid cases have gone down uh, we're so close to the end that you know people are freaking out they're so happy about the and there's always a risk of doing so too early because yes. we look at the countries like the usa which is where all the tourists are from at the moment and the uk uh, as well and they're quite ahead of us in mm -hmm. vaccinations and they're looking at a new wave potentially starting there because people have been so relaxing. Yes. And and we're behind them and inviting people in. Uh, so it, it's not plain sailing. No, it's not. We really need to be careful. And I can hear from my friends in the States, that, you know, uh, and in the UK, they look up like, I've got my vaccination. Where is it safe to go? I'm not going to go to Europe because, you know, France, Italy... Spain still with uh, they they're behind in the vaccination. Everything hasn't opened up yet. Ah, Iceland. There's even a there's a volcano and you know there's an eruption. There's a lot of things we can do. Let's go there, mm. uh, which I think you know in general is fantastic. But we it is risky 
it's not risk-free. Mm. And I hope everyone realizes that we could get, like we did last summer, when, you know, um, we had to close everything back down in, in the fall. But now with the vaccinations, I've, I've decided to be very positive. Well, that's the thing. I mean, we could have a fourth wave of infection here, but maybe that's not the worst thing in the world because all the vulnerable people have been vaccinated already. Exactly. And it might not have such severe consequences. That's the thing. We, it's not the same risk as, as it was before that it could enter the homes of the elderly or, uh, you know, the, the, the vulnerable groups. They've all got their, their vaccine. And so uh, it's, yeah, the risk, it's always, you know, when you're making a policy, you need to do a risk analysis. Mm. And I trust that the government has done so. I know there's a lot of pressure from the tourist industry to open up. Uh, but not just from the tourist industry. I mean, people in general want to be free and we want to get the industry going again uh, for people to get off of unemployment benefits. Mm. And even though you, you saw the news about people turning down jobs and I can understand if you're an employer and you're eager to reopen because, you know, the tourists are coming back, that you get frustrated if you make some calls to unemployed people and they turn your offer down. Now, uh, the bad thing is like there's there's no statistics behind this. We don't know whether there were two people or 2,000 people that turned jobs down just because. Mm. So it's very difficult to know whether this is an anomaly, like just a few people, uh, and there might they might have some reasons for it, or whether it's uh, a problem that we need to face. Because, I mean, on paper, you're not allowed to do that. No. If you're unemployed and taking benefits and you get offered a job, you have to take it. Yes. With certain get-out clauses, but generally speaking... Yes. It shouldn't be a problem, should it? No, it shouldn't be a problem. And, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I think most people that have been unemployed really would love to get back back to work. Mm. And it might not be your dream job, but uh, I'd rather work somewhere um, than somewhere than nowhere. And of course, people have different, there can be like, uh, there has been, if, maybe if you have to work weekends or shifts and you're a single parent, this can be difficult and you can't take it. I mean, there can, obviously there can be reasons. So uh, before we jump to the conclusion that every person taking unemployment benefits is just lazy and doesn't want to work, I think we need to, you know, uh, know a bit more about this. I think actually, I mean, most people, we down to between 9 and 10% uh, mm -hmm. unemployment rate, which is really high in Icelandic terms. I know that in European terms it's it's not that much, but uh, still, that's that's a lot in Iceland. And so hopefully we'll get this down pretty fast. Mm. We've always rather chosen um, high inflation and low unemployment than, than vice versa. Um, yeah. This, this is a conversation that's very quick to come up. People, society can be very quick to judge people that mm -hmm. are on benefits. Um, and this is just one guy from the Tourism Association, I think it was, um, on Castellos last week, saying yes. that this is a problem he's heard of. There are some cases, he said. I think that was the exact words he used. And then it turned to this big national conversation about people mm -hmm. being lazy. And 
the Vinnemalustotnen and the head of the union of the of university educated people have come mm. back and defended this shouldn't necessarily be they shouldn't need to do that necessarily um if people weren't so ready to be critical that's true um i think uh, you know um icelanders really value work uh if you you know you, you might have it on your gravestone you know your your job and you know the best thing you could say about a, a woman that or anyone uh, she never, you know, mm. she was working continuously, always doing something. That's the best thing you can say about anyone. So uh, we are very, you know, uh, very, very, I think, uh, quick to judge. Uh, and I hear this about the young people, like the the younger, the millennials or the younger generation that, oh, they're so lazy, they don't want to work anymore, they just want to travel and have fun. Well, you know what? I don't think that's true. I just think their values are a bit different from the older generations. And I really support this change of values. Uh, I'd rather, you know, work to live than live to work. And I think it's also a generational thing. I think this might be changing. And but it's it's like with everything that uh, when when news spreads on social media, mm. uh, you will always get this harsh judgment. Almost, uh, it doesn't really matter what it is. <laughs> uh, people are very very quick to judge. And I say for myself, I have. Nothing that I can, if I just look at it as a journalist, like whether, you know, to do a, a news story, I have nothing. There's no, no. There's, there's no statistics, there's no research, there's no, there's nothing. There's just, yes, uh, she had heard from some employers, the owners of, of companies, that they had had problems. And I think it's okay to, to say that. <clears throat> but for other people to <laughs> to jump to the conclusion that everyone on unemployment benefits is lazy and doesn't want to work, it's not like the unemployment benefits are are luxuriously uh, high. No, they're <laughs> definitely not. No. Unlike the the leader of the um, what, what is it, university educated people's union, <laughs> mm. said he's uh, you know uh, those people that have lost their jobs, they've really lost income and they can't wait. To get back to work, so in in general, so I think we should just you know uh, take a deep breath and then uh, continue. I'm I'm sure that we're going to get enough people to work in Definitely. the tourist industry as it grows. Yeah, and obviously you must also remember that uh, there was a lot of, of foreigners that were working in in the uh, tourist industry. So many of them might have uh, gone, you know, be, be traveling. Maybe they've gone home to look look for jobs there, mm. and they can't, you know, be on the job next week and whatever. You know, there can be a lot of explanations for this. Absolutely, um, time's rattling on. So maybe time for just a quick other car topic of your choice. Oh, of my choice. Um, I'd say, I think we need to talk about the volcanic eruption, right? Because, um, you know, uh, we always have those mixed feelings. One thing is that we love our volcanic eruptions. Mm. And this one, specifically, because you can walk there, you can hike there, and people have been there 10 times, 20 times, and it's always different. But obviously, it is also 
a danger to the environment. Um, so, you know, this experiment that they did with um, the earthworks, the barriers to mm. see if they could actually stop the flow or, or direct it uh, away from infrastructure uh, was really interesting. Um, didn't, well, <laughs> you can't say it didn't work or did work. It did pass and go over the barriers, but... Um, but it didn't destroy them. Uh, exactly, was... and they, that, that, that might be the point. I mean, it's really difficult to to change the direction of lava flow. They did it in the Westman Isles by pumping millions of litres of, of seawater, cold seawater, uh, to stop the flow, to make it cool down faster. Mm. So it wouldn't close the harbour there in 1973 in, in that big eruption. Uh, that was a major operation and... Um, now, I'm, you know, no specialist, but I can just imagine it must be really, really difficult to to change the direction of the flow of, of lava. So some barriers, yes. Uh, or maybe it just has to flow where it flows. Mm. But they, they've got this time now, which is interesting. It's not like it's a major fast-flowing eruption, but they do have certain priorities of places they would mm -hmm. like to save if they can. Um, obviously the road and the fibre optic cable, but f further down the line, potentially also the power station at... Um, at um, Svartsenki. Svartsenki, yes. And then Grindavik itself, because this could go on for decades. So it's, it's great in a way that they're thinking like this now. Absolutely. And, and then you can say, why didn't you think of it before? Well, you know, well, it hasn't erupted there for 800 years. So there have been... You know, th th there are some limits to what you can plan for. But now when it started, uh, this might stop. But then there's another rift that opens up, uh, maybe closer to Havnafjordir or mm. closer to, to uh, Grindavik or somewhere closer to where people live. So um, I'm actually glad that they're doing these experiments because, I mean, like people have said in Havnaverdir, uh, if you build your house on, uh, in a lava field, you might actually expect lava to flow there again. Um, or maybe not. Maybe the hotspot has moved a little bit further. There are so many things we don't know. And I know it's a feast for our scientists to be there now and see how things are evolving. Every day they say, oh, this is so amazing. This is so weird. We didn't know this This would happen or that would happen. Mm. You can't, there's, it's, we can't really predict what will happen. And that's part of the fascination, obviously. Um, but, you know, th these mixed feelings, it's like, yeah, best, it would be best if it would just stop. But then again, no, because we <laughs> love it. Uh, so and best also... solution would be if they, they actually could find a way to, to direct the lava flow to protect, like you said, the, the infrastructure. If not, we just have to face that we live in a country like this and lava can, can flow where it erupts. Mm. And it's like, in a way, the longer this, this eruption continues for, the less likely another one is to start because the pressure underground is presumably not building. Uh, so that's a positive. It's more predictable like that. And then the other thing I wanted to mention was that these barriers that were topped last week, they put an experimental length of fibre optic cable in there. Yes. Which is still working. Exactly. So they're quite pleased about that as yeah. well. Uh, fiber optic cable obviously is so important in Iceland if you're going to have functioning uh, internet and all that 
and because you know we're so spread out um and to see that it actually survives lava flow is fantastic you mm. know it, there's always some new uh knowledge popping up from from all the experiments that they're doing i don't think we know half of what they've been doing there every single day there was a group of different scientists from different countries doing some different research <clears throat> and we're gonna you know we won't know about it until you know maybe years on and it's but only going to build as well because yeah. the longer it goes on the more time people have got to think about things and to maybe get funding that they need for bigger experiments and exactly yes, you've been there i have only once though it's it's time to go again because yeah, it's me changing so much me too i can uh, but the beauty is also that you know most people in the in the Reykjavik capital area can actually see the clouds and can see it, you know, at night glowing in your backyard. It's just something fantastic about it. I think we're particularly gifted here at Druv as well because you can see it so well from this building. Yeah, exactly. You go and have your lunch and, and you know, have a view over, over the, the eruption. Yeah, fantastic. Well, uh, on that note, we are out of time, I'm afraid. Oh, my goodness. Um, however, The Week in Iceland will be back next Monday, the 7th of June on ruv.as forward slash English, Ruv English on Facebook through the Ruv app and your favourite podcast platform. Do remember that your 5,000 krona 2020 travel gift expires at midnight and it's not too late to use it. For everyone else, the 2021 travel gift of the same value will come in, will be yours to use from tomorrow. Huge thanks to my guest today, Thora Atnostotir, and also to Lydia Gretasdottir for running the studio. We finish today with the Italian song Titi e Buoni by Moneskin, the winner of this year's Eurovision Song Contest, in which Iceland's Dari Okaktamagnith finished in fourth place, the country's joint third best ever finishing position. You can still re-watch re Eurovision with English or Icelandic commentary on ruv.as or through the Ruv app. In the meantime, bye for now. Loro non sanno di che parlo, vestiti sporchi fra di fango, giallo di siga fra le dita, io con la siga camminando. Scusami ma ci credo tanto, che posso fare questo salto, e anche se la strada è in salita, per questo ora mi sto allenando e buonasera, signore e signori, fuori gli attori, vi conviene non fare più errori, vi conviene stare zitti e buoni, qui la gente è strana tipo spacciatori, troppe notti stavo chiuso fuori. Molli prendo a calci sti portoni Sguardo in alto tipo scalatori Quindi scusa mamma se sto sempre fuori ma Sono fuori di testa Ma diverso da loro E tu sei fuori di testa Ma diverso da loro Siamo fuori di testa Ma diversi da loro Siamo fuori di testa Ma diversi da loro no. Io ho scritto pagine e pagine, ho visto sale e poi lacrime Questi uomini in macchina e non scalare le rapide Scritto sopra una lapide, in casa mia non c'è Dio Ma se trovi il senso del tempo risalirei dal tuo brio E non c'è vento che fermi la naturale potenza Dal punto giusto di vista del vento senti le prezze Con all'incera la schiena ricercherò quell'altezza Se vuoi fermarmi di testa prova a tagliarmi la testa perché Por
sei fuori di testa 